of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 360. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we're very happy to have Jessica Brink back. I have been hearing so much from the legal centric group uh, that I guess formed up around Alphonse, of which I understand Jessica is a part. And I get emails beyond belief, probably hundreds in a month of all the people who have benefited in some way, shape, or form from that group, which in some ways started off the tail of this show. And in other ways, it drove itself deftly. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. The powerhouse Jessica Brink. That's what we need to be calling her. Something like that. Um, it's, it's quite incredible. I've had numbers of emails where people weren't being allowed to see their loved one. And it's, it's a bit hard to fathom how we got here so quickly where people just accept that, oh, they told me I don't have any rights now, so I don't have any rights. But let's jump in. Welcome, Jessica. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. So a lot has gone on since last time we were here. And if I'd have done my due diligence, I would have looked up. As a matter of fact, while you're speaking, I think I will look up so we can list the shows that you have been on before. Where do you want to jump in here? Do you want to uh, do you want to tell people how you ended up advocating or you want to jump somewhere else? Yeah, you know, you actually just said something that made me think back. You said it this kind of came about quickly for so many people, this sudden change in in how our lives are being affected daily by this sort of stuff. But I guess for me, it's it's been a bit of a slow creep. You know, I've been involved in healthcare for 16 years now. I knew something was coming. I just didn't expect it to this extent. And <laughs> when I say that, I mean, you know, I started off at the bedside. I was a bedside nurse. I've worked in pediatrics and, and open heart surgery. And I've always been more holistic minded. So I brought that into my nursing practice. And when I saw things happening, things that didn't make sense to me. Why are we CAT scanning this kid? He just had a CAT scan at the community hospital. And now he's at the trauma center. We don't need another CAT scan. We just need to look at his old CAT scan. You know, patients in open heart surgery, they would leave and, and the doctor would tell them, stop by McDonald's and get a burger. You need those calories. And it just, those sorts of things didn't make sense to me. So it, it eventually wore me out and I, I left the bedside. But then I went to health insurance and then my eyes were really opened to why certain things were happening the way they were. And I, I honestly trust that my path has been set before me for a reason. And I've been able to peek inside these things and, and see them for what they are. And during my experience in health insurance, I realized that, you know, first I was writing medical policy in coordination with other doctors. And I was seeing these policies be implemented and these algorithms where, you know, if doctors didn't follow this algorithm, they weren't going to get reimbursement. And if they really tried to push the, the agenda, then they would get kicked out of the network and they would essentially lose their patient population, their reimbursement and all sorts of things. So it's been an interesting experience for me. And I, I'm definitely biased based on my experiences. But when I was delivering checks to pediatricians for giving vaccinations to children, in part, they were you know, reimbursed or bonused. Literally, we, we called it a bonus payment if they met the threshold of vaccinations or mammograms or colonoscopies. And I really just quickly saw how it all worked. And knowing that there are things out there called HCC codes, HCC scores that are weighted and our doctors are reimbursed based on a patient's diagnosis. So everyone's hearing these things, oh, you know, hospitals get more money for a COVID diagnosis or whatnot. I can tell you that's true. I've, I've literally worked in the system and I've seen it happen. So 
now it's just coming to fruition and people are learning about it. People are learning about their rights because they have to, but now it's, you know, it's kind of hard to catch up on things that have been happening for, for years and to try and implement these things specifically in the hospitals. And what I'm, what I'm seeing in the hospitals right now is honestly terrifying. And I'm sure that's probably what more of what we'll get into, but for me, it's been a long time coming and I'm thankful that people are starting to realize it. I'm sad that it's happening kind of late in the game, but the message is it's never too late. It is never too late to learn your rights, to exercise them, to take control of, I, I say it all the time, we've outsourced the two most important things in our life, our health and our rights. And until those things come together, we're all going to be floundering. So hopefully we can shed some light on that stuff in the next couple hours. It's always darkest before the dawn, the old cliche goes, but I think there's something to it here. As we were mentioning off the air, I'm seeing a hell of a lot of people who probably fit the demographic of being relatively sleepy, uh, tied up in politics and other narratives that keep their mind from viewing what's truly going on. And what I'm seeing is a hell of a lot of people waking up very quickly. But before we go forward, uh, the two episodes that Jessica did before this one is 303 and 288 if anyone wants to go back. By the way, if you go on the website and you hover over the full episode link up top, there's a find show link which lets you search two things. You can search for a word or a show number or on the right side of that search, the guest name. So you can go ahead and search Jessica. Um, Part of what's gone on here is um, we're all having to wake up to the fact that all these great services that made America so great, there's a price. We didn't see the price when they implemented them. We saw how great it is to have a car with air conditioning. We saw how great it is to have this service, that service. We fell for insurance because look at the size of this bill and look, my insurance picked it up, but the creep was already underway. And there is no denying at this point that goods and services are the leveraging mechanism for everything that is going on right now. Um, And I just wanted to touch on it, Jessica, I've had emails from a number of people where they could not even enter the hospital by hospital policy, hint, hint, to go see their loved one. And I got a number of emails saying that you help people get in to see their loved ones. Yeah, yeah, that's actually how a lot of this started. I took my advocacy certification back in 2016. Uh, It was a year-long process. I honestly thought I was going going to go down the road of like, helping people with alternative cancer therapies and and that sort of thing. But when the quote unquote pandemic hit and there were these folks that were being locked out of the hospital while their loved ones were in the midst of the most chaotic crisis they've experienced, that's when, (laughs) that's when my advocacy kicked in. Um, And that initially, that was a lot of what I was doing for the first few months, because honestly, I mean, I was in my mind, there was something really going on. People were getting very sick. And at that point, it, in some respects, it seemed justified, not, not the fact that you couldn't get into your, to see your loved one. I would never, ever ascribe to that, but that there was some sort of medical emergency that we needed to pay attention to. Fast forward 8, 10, 12 months, and those restrictions are still in place, and they haven't even lessened. They've gotten actually worse. So now, not only am I helping people get into the hospital, but I'm helping them manage their care plan. I'm, head, I'm helping them stay involved in the care plan. I'm helping them put accountability on these doctors and nurses. And it's one of those things, once the horse leaves the barn, it's hard to get it back in. So now at this point, what, 18 months in, we've gone from just helping people get into the hospital, helping them get into the hospital and advocate. Now it's helping them stay out of the hospital. And if heaven forbid, you have to go to the hospital, 
you better have your ducks in a row, things documented, your affidavits in place, essentially like a, a living will, but for the folks that wouldn't typically have one. Every, I think everyone should have some sort of affidavit at this point that describes critical point you are making. Yes. Critical, critical point. One of the things about the system we live in is it was trained through bureaucracy. Oh, this document does that. Oh, that policy polices this. We're about to do a show with another young couple who brought a baby into this world the old fashioned way, you know, naturally, uh, this thing we've forgotten about. And they hit a roadblock at every turn until they did exactly what Jessica just said. I forget what they call it, a birth plan or something. They wrote it out, they affidavited it, they statement of fact it, and nobody said boo after the fact. So, you know, you're saying such a critically important thing. I'll tell you something about the system. So, my mom was recently had to go into the hospital again. She's almost 90 and she breaks her elbow. And it's just like, my God, because I know what's coming next. And every time I got to go there, I'm thinking, who the hell am I going to fight with now? And I just changed my whole mindset. I'm not fighting with anyone. If a thing is right, then I will proceed as if that thing is right. I don't give a damn what anyone says. So I get to the hospital one night after eight and this place is locked. Every door. The only way you can get into this hospital is through the ER. And then the security people are trying to tell me it's after visiting hours, you can't go in. And I said, I beg to differ. My 90-year-old mother's in here and I'm going in. And unless you want to have a big freaking scene in the middle of your ER, you better walk me up there. So they finally do. I get to the door on the fourth floor where my mother is and my phone goes off. And believe me, I'm not a phone guy. I turn everything on. The only reason I'm carrying this thing is because of what's going on in the life. And it sounds like one of these Amber Alerts or something, which, you know, I'd gone through my phone and disabled and deleted everything. Barely used it. I talk to Jason sometimes um, for the show is why I have it. And on the phone, it says, you have been exposed to COVID. I'm not even kidding. I walked into a hospital and my phone starts going off and I'm laughing my butt off. And the nurses are, what was that? An Amber Alert? I said, no, we've all been exposed, exposed to COVID. And there were three nurses and the whole place that I saw it was empty. And they all started busting up laughing. It's just such a joke at this point. But Jason, you want to jump in here? That's a new one. Everything is uh, through the ER. That's what I've seen too. But yeah. I haven't seen uh, crazy ass alerts going off. I had them all disabled, Jason. I, you, you know who I know who's like the hacker of the world. You thought you did. No, he, he did. In fact, after I said, how the hell did this happen? And we went in uh, to the phone and he said everything was disabled. What happened, we think, is I took an update because I don't pay attention. So I guess it updated and I got a new COVID alert thing that I had to kill. So, Jessica, how far back do you think they were really prepping everybody to just be so docile about everything they're throwing at us and have been throwing at us. Because something I noticed before all this nonsense started was a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people were really catching on to the fact that government really isn't your friend. And then as soon as this started, all of a sudden, every single word that came out from these people was absolute gospel. Do not argue. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I, I throw a lot of ideas around in my head. But for example, my mom and... I have her permission to talk about this, but a couple of weeks ago, actually, she got a virus of some sort and she was sick as a dog for 10 days. And if I wasn't right there with her, you know, it, I think it probably would have went differently. But 
seeing her generation and probably the one thing she was most concerned about was the fact that I was like, mom, we're not going to call your doctor because <laughs> I know, I know he has a certain perspective and he's going to want to go a certain way. She was completely stable. There was no concerns about her. She was just miserable for 10 days, not moving. But in her mind, she was most concerned about the opinion that her doctor would, ha- would have that she wasn't in communication with him, that she wasn't following his orders. And you look at the way we talk about doctors, doctors write orders. They have standing orders. We're patients. If you don't go by the doctor's orders, you're considered non-compliant. That language has been in existence, you know, for a long time. So I feel like this patriarchal relationship we have with medicine has kind of set the stage. There, there was a period of time where, you know, patient empowerment was a thing and it came along with having autonomy and being able to make your decisions. And, and we saw in healthcare shared decision-making which was a big farce in my opinion. Patients were supposed to be allowed to participate in the decision-making process. <laughs> That's just <laughs> funny to hear that. Supposed yeah. to be allowed, I mean. Yeah, and, and you know, they put a term on it. Oh, shared decision-making. And there was a, a time where as nurses, if, if a mistake happened, you were supposed to right then and there out yourself and, and say where previously it was like, ah, you know, I think I might've just taking the blood on the wrong person. And it was, you just kind of hushed, hushed about it. But then there was a time where you need to talk about all this stuff. And, and they've mostly they found, because if you address it right in the moment, you're less likely to get sued. But there was for a period of time, I feel like, like you were saying, Jason, like a, a revolution where people were starting to take control of their healthcare. But then it went a little too far because now we started seeing, and I don't even like to use the term anti-vaxxer, but Parents were starting to push back. We saw a lot more religious exemptions coming through and parents were starting to question. I mean, could it be the fact that the, the schedule for children has exploded, you know, since I was a kid? Parents finally started saying like, whoa, this is too much. So then this movement came into place and then bam, what do you know? All of a sudden we've got this crazy situation going on where all of that stuff has been put on the back burner and everyone just needs to do what they need to do. And honestly, I feel like, again, it's been a buildup. How many people dumped a bucket of ice water over their head for an ice bucket challenge? How many people are quickly jumping on board with these TikTok <laughs> dances? We, we have trained people to just do it. And we're, we're at this place now where people are just, let's see what ridiculous things we can make them do just so that they can be part of this mass group sync or, or whatever is cool at the moment. So I, I can tell you where that started. Where it actually reached the public eye where they were going to test how kind of dumbed down we'd all become like mannequins and puppets is when Jackass came out. Jackass was going to seek to convince people to do things to themselves and to others, which had been so far acceptable for the entirety of Western civilization. And they pulled it off with ease. As a matter of fact, I would not be surprised to learn there are thousands of young men who are never having kids. (laughs) Um, because of what they did to their own self. And you can see what you're saying is exactly true. You can see where it came into culture. And the, the flip side of that is, is I'm an adult and I'm in charge of myself and I make adult decisions. Really? Isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, but it's almost a, it's a bit of a cop-out or or it's the easy way out when, when you can just turn all your decision-making power over to some, something supposedly greater than you. You know what? It's, it's not my choice. I'm being forced to do it. So then when the rubber meets the road, you don't have to take accountability for it. And it's the same thing in the hospitals. Unfortunately, this qualified immunity stuff where nurses and doctors, they think that they can't be held accountable. 
So, I mean, that's one thing in the, in the physical realm and the legal, whatever you want to call it, but you're, you've got to deal with that internally. There has to be some kind of conflict going on in these folks. And that I think is the, the bigger thing that's coming down the road is when all these nurses and doctors realize, and I've talked to a number of them personally. So I know that many are people are having this internal conflict. There was a point where they were doing this just because they thought we were in the midst of an emergency and this was triage medicine and we had to do what we had to do. But now 18, 19 months in, they're starting to question, was that, and I'm saying these words because they came from somebody else, was that a mercy killing? Was that the right thing to do? Are we treating these people appropriately? And a lot of folks are going to have to deal with that internally. Whatever happens in the world, and if we find ways to hold these people accountable in a lawful way, that's one thing. But there's going to be a lot of internal conflict for people once they, they see what's going on. So I imagine there are a lot of people listening who have current issues that they're not sure how to deal with. So let's get into the legal aspects, and let's start by telling people where they can go to get help and meet a community that helps each other with the legal ideas. And by the way, I don't want to see a bunch of comments about the law is for this kind of slave or that kind of slave. I know precious few people who have completely opted out of the system, and even those people are struggling with issues. Um, This is about how you choose to live. And if you choose to live like you've always lived, that's your damn choice. And that means you can get pulled in front of the man or deal with other so-called legal issues. So what we're doing here is we're covering things that have actually succeeded. So I'm not interested in the religious philosophy of what's what. I'm interested in, did this work? Could another person do it? So with that said, Jessica, um, can you talk about the group that you're a part of and where people can go to get help on, I can't see my loved one or whatever it may be? Sure. And I I just want to touch on the, the point that you just made, Crow. I've gone through my own process and I've, I've dabbled in all of the stuff, all of the distractions. I've gone down a number of rabbit holes. And even when it comes to does something exist that's making people sick, right? I won't even have that debate with people because it, it's not helpful. In my mind, it's a distraction from what is actually important right now. And what is important right now is keeping ourselves healthy and safe and really learning what our rights are and how to exercise them. The stuff that works, it works. And if it works, I'm going to keep doing it. Even if it might not be completely the foundational truth, at this point in my mind, that that doesn't matter. We need to deal with what's in front of us right now. And right now, what we have is a, a healthcare system that is completely dysfunctional. And we have a legal system that is pretty dysfunctional as well. But the legal system has rules, as does the, the hospital, the healthcare system. We have to learn those rules in order to start holding them accountable, in order to make them see that things are being done in a fringe kind of way. So like you, I don't want to get into that debate about what exists, what doesn't exist. To me, that's all a distraction. What we need to do right now is what works. Let's say it this way. A lot of these laws and a lot of these rules we're talking about, or even if you want to go so far as to call it corporate policy, were put in place in a time where none of what's going on was acceptable. They had to put the face on it that human rights matter. And a lot of these things are still on the books, but anyhow, so there's a telegram group and I'm not sure what else might be available for people who are desperate for some advice and a helping hand. Yes, indeed. So, so the telegram group Alphonse started, (laughs) I think it was February and already it's grown to 10,000 plus people. I was one of the early adopters and uh, maybe there were 
15, 20 people in there at the time. Um, and now we've got people from all over the world and it gets a little unruly at times, but if, if you get in there and you, first of all, get in there and, and get the temperature of the audience, don't necessarily dive in, just poke around and, and read the, the comments and stuff. But there are people in there that are genuinely wanting to help and, and helping in effective ways. So it's, it's Alphonse Fagiolo is the name of the group. And we're just a bunch of individual people in there helping others. It's humbled me in so many ways to, to see how many people, people are out there and willing to help. We, we don't endorse anything. We don't organize anything. We're just there chatting. It's a big forum for, for conversation. So that's a great place to go. There's another point I would, I would say, Jason, I don't know if you know, but I think almost every legal guest we've had, maybe two or three are exempt from what I'm saying, have migrated over to that group. At least that's what I heard. Uh, a lot of people have. Absolutely. We do our best to hear everybody out, but there are certain things at this point with 10,000 people on there that we just don't tolerate. So we've gotten pretty discerning as far as the stuff that that's brought in there, because the last thing we want to do is, is point somebody in the wrong direction. We're just putting information out there and hoping that people consume it in an effective way. The idea is this has worked and other people can use this workable thing that we know works, right? That's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and that's one of the greatest things is now that we've been doing this long enough, people are actually putting it into action and they're coming back and telling us their success stories. So the couple that you spoke of earlier, you know, that was that affidavit of fact for birth plan. That, that was like my first little attempt at, at making this work. And, you know, it, it's been shared with, I think, at least three couples that I can confirm at this point. They've adapted it for their own situations and it has had a significant impact. So, you know, that document is on there. You can go on there and download it and, and check it out for yourself and, and adapt it to your situation. But definitely the Telegram channel is a great resource. Um, I also have my own website. It's uh, www.nursewithin.com. And that's just a place where I've, I have some videos up there. I put a bunch of documents up there. There's actually a, a way that you can chat with me, send me an email. My approach to advocacy, I don't do the advocacy myself. I will give you the tools so that you can do it for your loved one. But I'm not necessarily going to be reaching out to doctors directly or hospitals directly. It's, I honestly feel this is a process that people need to learn for themselves. And if you're not the one that has a loud voice and if you're not confident enough, then, then find someone in your inner circle to be that person. Because it is, in my experience, even going through some of this law stuff, unless I did it myself, that there's an energy shift that happens once you get a little win and it just keeps growing. And I feel like that's the energy that I want to promote in people. And I'll give you the tools and I will talk you through it and we'll role play and we'll do whatever we have to do to get you ready to do it. But the, the place, the starting point for that is uh, nursewithin.com. I have documents up there about how to visit in the hospital, how to visit in the nursing home, power of attorney, the affidavit of fact that I'm talking about, how to deal with it if your loved one is confused. There's a number of things there and I, I haven't put enough time into it to update it lately because it's just been crazy otherwise, but you can always reach out to me and I will help as best I can or point you in a direction or give you a resource. There are many, many things that we can do. And just as far as getting involved in the care plan, letting that hospital, that nurse, that doctor know that I am watching every step that you make. I want to be part of this process. I, I insist it is my right to be part of this process. Those things are all, all super important. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that I observed. I think it really came into sharp focus when we were doing Agent J for the first time. 
But what I began to realize was this whole COVID thing was so carefully crafted that what they had done is realized we have to offer a religious exemption, but then they perverted the process. We have this webpage or this document. So now you're, if you interact with this, you're already begging for our permission for a thing you don't have to ask anyone for permission. And here's what I noticed. When Agent J submitted her document and it was successful and so i mean that document's gone around the world lord knows how many times it's gone viral a couple times um what was going on there was an adult human being was saying nope um i have this line in the sand it is my right call it religion call it whatever the hell you want but here's a statement of fact and this is the way it is the flip side of that where people were going and what was weird is i saw some of the online things they were forcing people well trying to get people to buy into for the religious exemption and one of the things was do you not take any medicines or is it just the vaccines that got you down bucky um and questions like this and almost a hundred percent of them were being denied and this draws the picture why would you ask, do you ask permission to breathe? Because that's kind of akin to what's going on there where they say, we've got this new document. If you want to come into our workplace and have the right to breathe, you need to fill out this form. Um, and so what I immediately began to notice was the bureaucracy will look you in the eye and ignore what your lips are saying. But if you submit it in a legal document, all of a sudden it matters to them. That's hundred percent true. And then that has been my experience as well. Where I am here, we've got some pretty tyrannical hospital systems. And I've, I've worked with a number of nurses just talking through their religious exemptions and they've copied me on responses. Your exemption has been declined or whatnot. And it's for those reasons. When is the last time they're asking, when is the last time you took a vaccine? If you've taken other vaccines, why won't you take this vaccine? And in my mind, that's not <laughs> none of your freaking business. How about that? That's HIPAA protected information. It is, but the facts, and it's just like what's going on right now. I, I a couple of weeks ago, the president said that he's mandating federal employees and, and contractors and such to, to take it, but yet he never actually put out the executive order on it. It's a lot of lip service. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Right. And we're just looking to right. see how many people are going to jump off the cliff before we actually even yep. implement it. So I, I honestly think that this, in my experience has been this religious exemption process has, is really going to backfire because it has forced a lot of people to really look deep inside of them and consider what their beliefs are, which is something that we haven't had to do in a long time. Right. So people are, are using this religious exemption kind of as a, initially I thought that, you know what, it's not the way to go because anytime you say you're exempt from something, it means that it's, it's applicable to everyone else, but it's not applicable to me. Um, so early on I was like, you know what, I, this religious exemption thing, it's, it's not a great path, but now I'm seeing people are desperate and I'm seeing that it is buying people time to, to work out the more lawful process, which is, you know, holding them accountable, building your case and holding them accountable. But what I'm, if I were to have to write a religious exemption, the fact that my rights are my property and <laughs> bottom line, body, bodily autonomy is my number one God-given right, in my opinion. So fetal cells and all that stuff, fine. You know, a lot of people argue that and it's, and it's effective, but Bottom line for me, my God-given right to my bodily autonomy is number one. It's the number one important thing. And you can't question me on that, period. This is one of the whole reasons for things we've all heard our whole life, like Roe v. Wade or, or Wade, I guess it is, and, and the whole Texas thing with abortion and now some other state. This is what they're doing. They're conditioning people um, with this side issue that gets people pissed off, like, 
color, creed, religion, babies, anything they know, you know, kick the puppy, people are going to get upset. Um, and the message underlying is that you have to ask our permission. So let's, let's cut straight to it. What has been the success rate that you've witnessed of people who went the road like Agent J did, where they didn't go online, they didn't take the corporate form to beg for permission, and they simply did an affidavit, a, a statement of fact, or something similar. Um, what do you think the success rate has been? Could you venture a guess? Based on my experience, most of the people that I deal with are not filling out the form. They're folks that are that are understand that a, a form is not the way to go. The corporate form being offered yeah, them. Okay. Exactly. And and what they're calling this, we're moving into the interactive process. They they've put it they put it into like a it's almost like a production line of things. You submit your form, it gets rejected, and then you have to go to phase two, which is the is the interactive process. And then of course they intimidate you by getting their lawyers involved. And at some point, all these things that they're piling on top of these folks, oh, now it's a federal mandate and now it's this. And they finally just say, I give up. I, I need to keep my job. And what a, a friend of mine told me last night that what they're doing is they're actually giving people the option to resign because if you don't, listen, your, your religious exemption hasn't been accepted. It's been declined. You have until X date to get the vaccine. If you choose not to do that, between now and then, you can resign. But if you resign, you'll be able to get a job back in the system. If we have to fire you, you will be blackballed from the entire hospital system. Is that actually true? So what they're doing, it just so people follow the line of reasoning here, is if you resign, you did that. How many times have we done the show where someone said, I showed those bastards, I, I resigned? Well, you lost your livelihood standing for something you believed in, and they didn't have a right to do what they did. And how many times have we said, ask? Are you firing me? Give it to me in writing. Am I fired? That's that's the import of what Jessica is pointing out. Absolutely. You're doing their work for them if you resign. Right. If you resign, you are probably forfeiting either a number of benefits. You're, you're, you're certainly Everything. forfeiting unemployment. Yep. You're basically saying, okay, I'm just going to step away from this. Meanwhile, if they fire you, that's you have some recourse there. If you've properly built your case, in, and this is what I... You know, I tell a lot of my friends to do, you know, in between now and then you document everything, the harassment that you're experiencing, the segregation, the discrimination, whatever it is, document everything and essentially build the case. So when they do fire you, you know, you have something to, you know, to, if you decide to go down the road of wrongful termination or whatnot, it's so important to, you know, document it, you put it in an affidavit you know, get it notarized, preserve the evidence, so to speak. Um, because that, that's, you know, that's what's happening. They're pressuring these folks to resign and, and dangling the carrot that, look, if you just resign, you'll be able to come back into the system at some point. Otherwise, you're fired and you're blackballed. And, you know, I don't, is it just a, an empty threat? I don't know, but it's enough to make a number of people either comply and go get the shot or those that are really willing to stand their ground. Of course, it's an empty threat because there's no, there's no, it's why Biden says mandate and then does nothing. Because if he said we made a law, the jig would be up. I would estimate that a hundred percent or damn near a hundred percent of the people who contacted me. So that's not the whole, these are the people choosing to send me an email that took the agent J doc or any L agent Ella and they did it properly. I have heard over and over, not only was I successful and they're leaving me alone, but I've heard many times that a 
three days after they did this, uh, a mass email went out saying we've suspended weekly or daily testing and our policy on the vaccine is temporarily suspended. Because what's happened is they've been faced, jerked back into reality, and there's a person who knows their rights, who's going to put their feet to the fire. And they're beginning to realize, look, this strategy is more genius than you can imagine. So someone like a supposed government is trying to force corporations to do things that are illegal. When the jig is up, who's going to pay the price? Will the government pay the price or will that corporation that did the wrong thing pay the price? The result of that is all the corporations that get sued successfully, some of them won't make it. They'll go under or people will be busted in a way where they just bail. And so the end result of that is as a society, we have less corporations that we can do business with, to be very blunt about it. But that's why I was asking. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say one more time. Do you think that the majority of people who implemented properly with something like an affidavit, uh, an Agent J doc, were they successful? Yes. Most, I would say 95% of the people that I have engaged with, and I've read their documents to some, in some respect, they've all been approved. There's where the rubber meets the road. Everybody listening, everybody who's listening and is in fear for their health because they don't want to take a medical procedure, who's in fear for their livelihood because they'd like to be able to pay their rent. They'd like to work. Pay attention to what was just said. I would say close to a hundred percent. I can't think of one instance where someone chose to email me. That's not everybody. These are the people choosing to email me with a story that, look, we did this as other people showed us it could be done. We were successful. And in many cases, I'd say maybe 40% of the cases, the corporation that was imposing these illegal measures backed off temporarily in almost every case. They say temporarily we have suspended. Yeah. And same thing. Um, I've helped a number of kids in school, colleges, universities, and we've got some of <laughs> some really hard chargers here. Um, and a number of them, they, they've had to continuously assert their rights, but they've managed to avoid mandatory vaccination. And even some of them have avoided testing and masking college kids, which to me just warms my heart because if, if we're able to get younger folks to accept some of this stuff and, and to start fighting back for themselves, that's really important going to be a big deal. There's going to be a whole generation here in a decade or two that came up in a world where masking was normal and all these things were attempted to be normalized. And my generation is quite a bit different. If you're awake at any level, that is so offensive. To be asked to put on a mask is a bridge too far. And there will be very few exceptions when I decide, look, this isn't the battle I'm taking today. I'll put on this mask for a few minutes. 90% of the time, that's not happening. Uh, when your 90-year-old mother's in a hospital, are you going to do the battle there or are you going to get the hell up to your 90-year-old mother? In that case, I chose. And what was ironic about that is I'd already said, all right, calm down, crow. You're going to do a thing that is so against everything you believe in, but it's for your mom. The moment I got to the door, I took off the mask and not a person said dick to me the whole time I was in there. And so it became like this show where people are supposedly enforcing, but this is important. And I'll, I'll, I'll say a thing and you tell me if I'm right. If you implement affidavits, statement of facts, things based on the brilliantly written agent J doc or agent Ella, and you do it as others have done it, I would say there's a 90 something percent chance you're going to succeed at what you're endeavoring to do. Do you agree with that, Jessica? I agree. I agree with it. And I, I would add that 
there's a certain amount of energy in those documents. And if, when you read them and you internalize them, something shifts, you have to really be invested in it and you have to know to your core who you are, but those documents have a certain amount of power in them. And from my experience, yes, when you go into a hospital with an affidavit of fact, people pay attention differently. They treat you differently and they know I'm not, it's not worth my time to mess with that one. And if, if that's what it buys us, then absolutely. So people are aware you can still use the general contact email on crow777radio.com and request the law docs of which there are a number you can get just the agent J doc about four or five will come. And I'll, I'll say this. I've said it before when agent J wrote that doc, I envisioned in my mind, an angel came down from heaven and sat on her shoulder. It is one of the most brilliantly spiritually conceived, legally defensible pieces of documentation I've ever seen. It's so good that on the face of it, any manager who reads that would have to be just a crappy, crappy person to even consider pushing back against what was written on that that document. And I want to get it out there. I'll say it again. Use the general contact from crow777radio.com and we'll give you all the law episodes. We'll give you Agent J. I think Jason, isn't the agent Ella doc in there too at this point? I can't remember. Yeah, everything's consolidated. And Rose ain't messing around. She's got quite a little bundle of things she can give you. The agent J doc is in there. And, you know, if I have to beat a dead horse here, I'm telling you, like 90% of the people who did it correctly, they backed off them. They changed corporate policy. They did all kinds of things on the back of that delivery. What do you want to get into the end of hour one? Jessica, that you think is critical. Should we get into the, the what the early days of COVID advocacy looked like, or would you like to close in some other way for the first hour? I'd like to, knowing that the first hour is available to everyone, just to get some some key points regarding advocacy and where we are right now. And I had a conversation last night with someone, 46-year-old guy in the ICU somewhere uh, in this country. And the the wife who has a power of attorney was just Basically, they told her her paperwork was useless. And they have a number of people that have come around them and are, are helping them advocate. But I can't overstress the importance of having these documents in place. And if you don't need them, thank God. But if you do need them, you need to have them in place now because what's happening and what I'm seeing happen in the hospitals, they're saying that patients are able to make their own decisions, but at the same time, they're sedating patients to the point where they're, how, I don't know how anyone could be coherently making decisions. So having the affidavit of fact for care plan, which clearly outlines what it is you do and don't want, essentially like a living will, but something a little more specific to the situation we're in right now, I think that is essential. Having identified someone to advocate for you, a a loved one, a family member, a friend who has a solid backbone and is willing to come up against pressures because these hospital administrators, even the police at this point, the sheriffs, they are really... They're at the whim of of what it seems to be the hospital, and they're really not sticking by their oaths, their roles, their what it is that they're meant to do. So someone needs to be firm in advocating, having these documents prepared, having them at the bedside, insisting that you see people getting in. You need to do wellness checks. So just a couple keywords. I am an essential caregiver. That is recognized by the Office of Civil Rights in order to get in to see someone. So essentially, Crow, if your mom were in the hospital, you are her essential caregiver. She is your property. At that point, if you have a power of attorney, she is your property. 
You are responsible for her well-being. You need to do a wellness check to ensure that her skin is intact, that all of her needs are being met. So you must get into that hospital to see her. And some of the key words to use in that instance are essential caregiver. If you're denied access, in my mind, that's medical kidnapping. There is no, when you walk into a hospital or a facility, you do not lose your rights. If you had just delivered a baby and that baby was in that hospital, there would be nobody keeping me from that child. Jessica, you just said something that really stuck out to me. If you start having a lot of problems here, could you in fact call 911 and say that they kidnapped somebody? Absolutely. If someone were in the hospital, if one of my loved ones were in the hospital and I was being denied access, in my mind, that constitutes something criminal. I I would be calling the local police station, the sheriff's office. Somebody needs to get out there and I need to be the one on the offense here and saying, look, my mom is in there. I need access to her. She is my legal responsibility. And chances are, and what happened last night to the woman I was talking to, the sheriff said, you know what? It's not my business. You know what? You took an oath to protect the people. There is someone in there and I don't know what's going on. I haven't had contact with the nurse in 13 hours. They haven't given me an update. I don't know what's going on. I need to get in for a wellness check. Make the point here. What that cop tried to do was um, imply this is a civil matter. If, if you say someone's kidnapped, that's now a criminal matter. And there's no backing off it in that way. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. And But the main thing about what Jason said, and I know from experience here, you make that 911 call, you have created a record. If you use words like kidnapping, essential caregiver, all these words, that's on the record now. And if the police do the wrong thing, they can end up in line of fire in the long run too, because that is criminal if you're reporting a kidnapping, not civil. Absolutely. And, and, and it's, it is my responsibility to report that there is a crime being committed. It is your responsibility to act on the fact that I've reported a crime. Right. If And again, it, like you said, Crow, it's, it's building the case. So I've made the report. The report is documented. If that elected official, if that sheriff, if that police officer doesn't act on it, now guess what? He's just been brought into this realm of accountability. And I've, I'm building the case to say, you know what? Fine, sir, if you don't want to enforce the fact that I've just reported a kidnapping, then I'm going to hold you accountable as well. because. I believe that they're truly, I am in good faith reporting to you a crime. And 10 hours ago, I spoke to my husband and now I can't get a hold of him. I know he's sick and I am his primary caregiver. I need to be in there. So, and if you go back and listen to, to B. Freely's, I think that's probably your most recent episode. He talks, he, he talks through all of the process for holding someone accountable. But I also realize that you're in the midst of a of utter chaos. You don't have time to go, to go through all this stuff. Like I don't have time to file complaints and everything. That's why it's important to start doing this research now. If you never have to use it, thank God. Here's the thing I can say to back up that's actually happening to me now. I am basically my mother's guardian. I have another sibling who is also a guardian primary. And we have, before my father died, he, he told me I'm dying at home, son. And you got to make sure. And I literally had to go into an ER and guard him when he was days away from death because they kept trying to put him on a machine. And I kept saying, what are you doing? You will not resuscitate. It didn't matter. They kept trying to do it. This was years ago. This was in 2005. So up here now where I'm the guardian, like all the hospice and the bureaucracy people who come in, they always ask, do you have that, you know, legal document that proves that you have the power to make life and death decisions. And by the way, this is what one of them told me a week ago. She brings in this bright pink document that says, we've got to 
my signature of a nurse practitioner, a doctor has to go on this to ensure that you have the right of this legal document that you're holding. I'm not even kidding. Um, and I informed them, I'm happy to fill out your document, but you better understand right now. Um, I don't give a damn what pink document you're holding. I am the legal guardian here, but they actually had trained the people coming out to my home to tell me that it didn't matter if I had that life or death affidavit, um, power of attorney, whatever you want to call it to make life or death decisions, um, that that didn't matter unless they had their little hospital pink one filled out and signed by a doctor, which is another way of trying to say, you're at our whim. You ask our permission. We don't care what legal document you have until you get our doctor's signature. And I straightened it out right there and then. Um, as a matter of fact, I had her call a supervisor to let them know that what they're doing is not legal. They don't supersede uh, a power of attorney that's already in existence, but it goes to show you just how far we've come, Jessica, what's going on. Indeed. And, and the fact that we're so willingly accepting this slow creep would... <laughs> Two years ago, a power of attorney would have been perfectly lawful and, and it would have really just yep. the rubber meets the road. Okay, you have a power, power of attorney, fine. You you have decision-making power. But now we're at this point where now you need an additional form signed. Why don't people ask questions? This doesn't make sense. This is one of the ways they're trying to get around it now. Yeah. They are saying, so you're in the hospital and you're telling us not to resuscitate and you don't have your power of attorney in your pocket. Therefore, it's not valid. And I said, I beg to differ. I can prove that that is my mother. I can prove that I've been taking care of her. Therefore, you have no right to assume that I don't have the power to make these decisions when I'm informing you that I do. But you see, that's how they're flipping it. They try to get down to, well, we, we can't trust what you're saying. We don't know if you just made up a fictitious power of attorney that doesn't exist. And this is one of the ways they're trying to weasel their way into getting their bright pink document on file. Yeah. It, and it's, again, kind of going back to the point where that's why it is so important to get this stuff in place while everyone is coherent and, and able to make their own decisions and have it witnessed by a notary. And you, you know, that stuff inside and out, because when it, when it comes down to it, if you have to put these things in force, you, you have to know how to argue them and, and how to exercise and, and retain all those rights that, that we have as caregivers and, and loved ones. Well, also just to be very clear, Nothing has changed with the laws, correct? There are no laws that have been put in place or altered in any way, shape, or form since the COVID nonsense began, right? So there are, CMS has put out, Center, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services has put out waivers that they're calling them blanket healthcare waivers, where they're basically telling hospitals that you don't have to have the advanced directive conversation which when I was a nurse, it was just part of our admission packet. Do you have any advanced directives? Meaning, do you have a living will? Do you have a medical power of attorney? We would have those conversations, you know, the first time we, we saw the patient so that it would be documented and it would be on the record. And if they were a DNR, a do not resuscitate, we knew that and we would pass it off and, and report and such. So these blanket waivers are now saying, look, you don't have to have that advanced directive conversation. And not only that, they've actually, CMS has magically given the hospitals permission to waive certain aspects of patient rights. Which is illegal, which is illegal. And it, it, right? it, it goes back to the point where, you know what, it's, this is policy. <laughs> Policies are right. not rights. right. But, but when someone can come running at you with this seemingly official looking document from CMS and say, look, here it is. The government says we don't have to have visitation and we don't have to give you your medical records. These are things that they've waived, supposedly, but 
you have to know that that's not lawful. I have a right to, to see my loved one. I have a right to get my medical records. So it's, it's really important that people get up to speed on this stuff and quickly and before you need to know it. So I think we're going to wrap up hour one here, guys. So there is the first hour of episode 360 with uh, Jason and Jessica. We're recording this on October 7, and there's been a lot of people looking around. I've had my eye on the 8th of October, which is tomorrow for a long time. I do what I always do. I don't make a solid prediction because I don't have a crystal ball, but I do things like look up what happened on this day in history. On the 8th, Constantine takes total control of Rome, and guess what got set up on that day? Uh, The Department of Homeland Security. It's when Bush first uttered those words, establishing all this. A lot of people are looking between the 8th and the 18th, but this is what I notice. Any kind of a false flag that we've seen so many of them, there are going to be so few people buying into it anymore. They won't get the same result because everyone's distrustful. Everyone's learned that this person that's supposed to have my well-being is biting my hand. And people have gone far away from just automatically trusting. So probably what we're going to see is things that happen there. You don't really have a choice. Like the power went out. This is happening, right? There's no power right now. But I would point out that the mindset of all of us contributes greatly to this. Simply looking out for your next door neighbor and other human beings that you know and not accepting nonsense will start to shift. And we're about to have a man on who wrote the book, Goodbye Germ Theory. And I'm very excited to get to this episode. Everyone should go out and buy that book. Uh, I think the author's name is Trebbing, Goodbye Germ Theory. It's just so pertinent to now and usable on so many levels. But Jason and I vetted him out and spoke with him. And he pointed out the hundredth monkey idea, which I've used a lot. And he ballparked it at about 10% where the hundredth monkey becomes possible. And we all kind of agreed that we're going beyond 30% of the minds that have woken up to this. And these are important things to remember. Remember what Athens said, sometime around the new year, the window for a smash and grab should start to close this naked, open aggression. There's a window for these things. All is not lost. The fat lady has not sing. And in my view, the fat lady will not be singing. Life always finds a way. But I hope you join us on the other side for hour two of Crow 777 Radio. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Jessica Brink will be back. And there's going to be live examples and other things that we bring to the table in hour two. And I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And you are, in fact, your brother and sister's keeper. And if you forget that, it's, it's your own peril. What can be done to someone can be done to you. And we should never forget these things. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing. Ha!